What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Eric's Mediocre Adventures. Uh, today we're doing something new, I guess. It's not new, new, but we're doing a new movie. Um, so, I bought myself for Christmas a uh, PlayStation 5. And uh, with that PlayStation 5, I recently learned, came a 4K DVD, Blu-ray, whatever, player. And there were two movies that stood out in my mind that I wanted to watch 4K. There's actually three, but I only have two of them right now. Uh, Wonder Woman and Tenet. The third one's uh, Mad Max Fury Road, and I'm sure I'll get that at some point. But uh, the main reason I wanted to watch Wonder Woman was because I remember this movie being visually stunning for the most part and I just watched uh, Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day and uh, while it was a fine-ish movie I wanted a palate cleanser as, as it were um, hence Wonder Woman from 2017 I saw this movie in theaters opening night and I really liked it I thought it was the best of the uh, the DC movies since Man of Steel itself and it is still up there uh, with Aquaman as one of my favorite of the post-Batman v Superman DC films. Uh, I say up there with Aquaman because I don't really know where they sit. Uh, because I haven't watched either of them in a long time. I, I watched Aquaman twice, I think, since it's come out. And then um, and I had seen Wonder Woman probably three or four times up until when I watched it yesterday making it probably the fifth time um but yeah all I, all I really remember about this movie the first Wonder Woman is uh loving it throughout until the third act where they started to Zack Snyder it a little bit too much and it became like a dark gray CGI mess uh, but I will save my thoughts for that when I get to the movie itself and get to that you know that part of the movie uh, I thought too I'd start with kind of the plans for the next the next few podcasts, um, I thought about coming back to do another podcast to finish up the seasons of The Mandalorian and his Dark Materials, but it doesn't really seem to be much interest in those, I guess, and I think everything there is to kind of say about those have been said, so I thought uh, I wouldn't do that. I would just sum up my thoughts now, where... Uh, the Mandalorian, I thought, was fantastic. The finale was great. Um, the only thing that took me out of it was the wonky face CGI. Uh, spoiler alert. You've... Two. One. On Luke uh, Skywalker's face. I was super excited when I saw him coming. Uh, I had had it spoiled for me that he was in the episode before I'd watched it. But, like, even watching it, as soon as I saw that glove, I was like, oh, that's obviously Luke. <laughs> um, I had still been holding out hope that it was going to be Ezra from uh, Star Wars Rebels, but it was Luke. And instead of recasting him, uh, or doing, like, a mix of a younger-looking person and CGI, they just went full CGI on his face. There was a, a younger stand-in, but the face was all, uh, like, a de-aged Mark Hamill CGI, and it was not good it looked cartoonish uh it personally it took me out of the scene but luckily the the emotion of uh, pedro pascal with the puppet was more than enough to kind of pull it back 
which which is you know it's what I want. It's still awesome to see Luke uh, in in any form. I'm assuming that he's not going to be in it a lot, which is why they didn't bother getting someone like Sebastian Stan uh, to come in and play the the young Luke because it's probably going to be his only appearance, maybe one of a couple appearances, and then he'll be out of the show. So I, I suppose I, I understand that. I hope if he does continue to come back, um, they listen to kind of some of the fan response to it and they do get someone like Sebastian Stan, preferably Sebastian Stan, um, to come in and, and, and just be Luke. I think it's something a lot of people would accept. Um, especially after they, like, this was kind of, a, Mark Hamlin kind of said himself, it was kind of like his last hurrah as Luke, so I feel like that it's a good time to, to make the switch. Uh, going into season three, I was one of the people who thought the Book of Boba Fett was not going to be its own show. I thought it was going to be the third season of The Mandalorian, but they have since announced that it's going to be its own show. So I'm assuming season three will mostly be about Mandalore. Um, so he's gonna he's gonna be facing trouble from Bo-Katan's side for having the Darksaber. And then he's also going to be facing trouble from his own side because he's obviously not following the Creed anymore and he's been taking his helmet off. So that's all going to be interesting. And then I have a feeling we're going to see a few episodes where he's going to be a little violent or aggressive or like just weirdly lost uh, without Grogu. And then I'm, I'm figuring that Grogu won't be gone for long. Um, I'm assuming he will be back with Din either by the end of season three or, or, or very early on in season four. I don't think he stays with Luke for too long. I don't think, uh, I, I especially don't think he'll be at the temple by the time of Kylo, um, which is something a lot of people were talking about. I don't think, unless Grogu was like super asleep, I don't think he would die from a temple fire. So, um, yeah. And then uh, His Dark Materials, the finale I thought was good. Uh, the last two episodes were good. I think the problem I had with them is the problem I had with every other episode uh, this season is that it was super, it feels really rushed. It doesn't really give you time to sit with the moments. Like, again, spoiler alert, if you do watch uh, His Dark Materials and you've not finished it yet, uh, in three, two, one, uh, when Lee Scoresby dies, that's that one felt emotional still but not as emotional as it should have like it's not nearly as emotional as it was in the book and then um john perry uh, after he reunites with will also dies he dies in a different way than from the book uh in the book he's killed by a scorned witch scorned witch or scorned it's it's, it's a wish a witch who's mad <laughs> and um but in this he just took a bullet from one of the Magisterium people for Will. He just kind of moved him and took it um, before his demon killed the other dude's demon and he died. Uh, but yeah, so they, they set up Amber Spyglass, I think, fairly well. Uh, Mrs. Coulter has taken Lyra in a storage trunk thing since she can control all the specters as like some weird like demon control lady. I don't remember that being a thing, but why not, I guess. Um, Will is going off on his own to try to find Lyra, and we see Lord Azriel, his first appearance since um, the end of the first season. So there, there was supposed to be an episode that was all about Lord Azriel, but uh, it got messed up because of COVID. 
but yeah, we see him. He's just kind of yelling and and like having a speech in, in like this empty valley, and then you discover that he's been talking to angels, and these angels have agreed to join him in the coming war against the authority in the Magisterium. Uh, the authority is essentially what they call God. In this, I, even if it's not, I, I can't recall. The authority might just be an angel, but like it, it's essentially God. Um, so yeah, they're setting up the war, which apparently they're going to do all of in one season. Uh, they're setting up Will going to look for... Will going to look for Lyra, Lyra being taken. The knife is set up, Mary's on her way to where she's going to be the snake, the serpent, I think. So we're at, we're at a good place. Uh, I just kind of wish they'd slow down a bit, give us a little more. You don't have to do three seasons because there's three books, but yeah, oh well. Still a really good season. I liked it a lot, and uh, I look forward to the last season. Whenever that comes around, probably 2023, I would assume. Yeah, so the only other thing I wanted to do before I did this movie is just a really brief uh, Wonder Woman 1984 review, because I kind of talk about it throughout my review of Wonder Woman, because uh, it becomes a lot easier to compare why I really like this movie, and then talk about like what how it was missed in the sequel so I think I'm, I've only seen it once so I'm not sure how I feel about it 100% yet but I said to someone um, in a message the other day when they when we were talking about it I said it's either a fine movie with a lot of bad parts or it's a bad movie with some really good parts um, and it's something I'd have to watch again to be sure and I just have not felt the yearning or interest in watching it again <laughs> since since then so it's been uh, it's probably gonna be a while before I watch it again um, the best parts about it are, are Gal Gadot and um, uh, Chris Pines like chemistry and, and what they've got going on for the most part um, Cheetah's fine uh, Maxwell Lord is weird and and I love Pedro Pascal and he he plays it well, but it's just a weird storyline and it's, it's all kind of strange. Um, but yeah, it's fine. I think it, if you're curious and you're a big comic book fan, pay the the twenty five dollars or whatever and watch it. Uh, support like support it how you can. Uh, if not, if you're not that big a fan or you, like you don't really care that much, just wait and it'll be on streaming services. I'm sure soon enough and you can watch it then but yeah I feel like it, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that they introduced in this one that or the first one that they could have they could have played off on or they could have like explored more and they completely ignore those things in, into Wonder Woman 1984 and I think that's uh, a part of why I didn't like it but yeah uh, last bit too before we start the movie um, it's just me today <laughs> you can probably tell um Matt has just welcomed his child into the world. Uh, she was born probably two weeks ago now. It would have been on Christmas Day or the day after Christmas, I believe. I can't recall. Um, but yeah, I affectionately refer to her as Harpy. Um, uh, she's, she's doing good. She just got to go home yesterday, and then hopefully once Matt and, uh, and his wife get some sleep and get settled... We'll probably be back for another thing with Matt. Um, I know we were planning on just 
talking about like things in the media realm that we're looking forward to in 2021. Uh, we both have to do some research on that though, because we're both not really sure what is coming out in 2021. Uh, video games, movies, what have you. Um, so yeah, that that'll be fun once we get to that, and I'll like having him back because um, I feel like it, it it's it's a little more fun when uh, there's someone to bounce off of. But I tried my best to. Uh, to fill out my notes on Wonder Woman here so that we could have some stuff to talk about. So yeah, we'll get this started. So Wonder Woman uh, came out in 2017. My cat just knocked something over. Uh, it came out in 2017, uh, May, I believe. It's directed by Patty Jenkins with a, probably a, who's, Zack Snyder probably had a big hand in it because uh, there's a lot of Zack Snyder all over this. Um, and it starts with Diana in modern times, presumably 2017, or whenever uh, modern would have been for this. Uh, and we see a Wayne Enterprises truck pull up on the Louvre, where she works, to bring her a pretty picture. Uh, it's a picture that you saw in Batman v Superman, and uh, it's like her with the World War One crew, Steve Trevor and all that, um, in a little town. And we get to see that picture get taken in this movie, spoiler alert. Um, Speaking of the alternate picture, though, Zack Snyder recently, I think last week, showed a picture from Batman v Superman from a war in, like, the 1800s. Like, that was initially going to be how she was introduced. I don't remember what the war was. I'd have to look it up. It's in the, the late 1800s, I think. Um... Yes, from the Crimean Wars from the 1850s. And in it, she's with... Uh, Charlie's still there, and it looks like Chief's still there. Uh, but she's holding, like, the heads of some of her enemies in her hands. And she's got, like, a spear and stuff, and there's a samurai with her. Like, it's really dope, and I, <laughs> I almost wish they would have gone with that one. Um, but a lot of the nice thing about this movie is kind of her cluelessness as she's introduced to the world uh, in the World War One scene. So I guess that would not have existed if if they went with that other photo but it's still amazing and if you've not seen it you should go look at it because that that on its own is, is pretty cool but then the movie jumps uh to who knows when time i, I don't know how long she's on themiscira for but she's on themiscira and she's a baby and she's uh ditching school so she can go watch the amazon's train uh, right off the bat, I noticed here that the 4K is incredible. Like, Themyscira is so green and pretty, and it's, it's like, really well detailed. The colors are so bright. So that's that got me really excited. Um, but then we also get our first bit of wonky, uh, like, green screen and CGI when baby Diana tries to leap off of a high ledge, and it's like she's falling. You can practically see the green screen behind her, which is not, which is not great. But it is what it is, I suppose. This is when we meet Hippolyta, uh, Diana's mother, played by Connie Nielsen, and uh, Hippolyta's sister, Antiope, who is played by Robin Wright of uh, The Princess Bride fame. As many will know, she's in other stuff too, House of Cards, I think, but I never watched that, and uh, I only know her from Princess Bride. They all have an, uh, an accent thing going on. I presume it's to get across the Greekness of Themyscira, but I'm also assuming it's to hide a uh, gal's accent, so like not hide it, but so that it's not as strange that, that only one person has an accent. I just feel like none of the other actors' accents matches gal's, though, and 
it still sounds kind of strange, but that's okay. Uh, she seems to get better at it as the movie goes on, which is, is probably unlikely because they probably didn't film it linearly, linearly, linearly. Um, but that's okay. We get we uh, then get kind of like a dope CGI animated storybook like Greek origin for humans and the gods and the Amazons, uh, intercut with like Diana being trained on the down low uh, by Antiope because her mom doesn't wanna doesn't want her to be trained and this is where we hear the old origin story for Diana of uh, her being shaped from clay and then brought to life by the gods. I, I like that they included that. Um, even though the comics have moved away from it, I like that they that they paid homage, I suppose. Um, one thing I'm not a fan of, though, here, right off the bat, is they have Ares kill all the other gods except Zeus. I don't like this, particularly because I believe that the lack of deities is, is one thing that hurts Wonder Woman 1984. Um, a big part of a, like a lot of the really good Diana and Wonder Woman storylines have to do with her facing off against the gods like these people that she's supposed to worship and be like thankful to and stuff for getting up to nonsense and she has to kind of deal with them um which is also kind of what this movie's about she has to deal with Ares because he's up to some nonsense uh, the MacGuffin of this movie is also introduced here, the God Killer, a weapon from Zeus, capable of killing a god in case Ares comes back because he got away from Zeus and stuff. Uh, those familiar with Wonder Woman comics will know right away that the God Killer is Diana, but if you didn't know, you know it is Diana during that first scene when it's discussed, just based on Hippolyta's face when Diana asks if she can see the God Killer blade, and then again like two minutes later when she's talking to Antiope. Like they aren't trying to hot it hot it. <laughs> they aren't trying to hide it from the audience, which I appreciate. They're only trying to hide it from, from her. Because like I think they think if she realizes then Ares will also find out or something. Uh, they're trying to keep her in the dark, whatever. But yeah, I just I appreciate that they didn't try to hide it from the obvious the oh, I'm bad at words today. They didn't try to hide it from the audience uh, in some kind of like cheap way to get a twist. Like the, there's still a twist and you still feel it, but it's a twist for the character later, which I I like. Uh, similarly, as well to Age of Ultron, there are some moments where you can tell uh, Gal was pregnant. I think. Um, particularly in Gal's first scenes in Themyscira when she's doing the training in her first like forearm bang. And she like bang bang them together. Um, I'm pretty sure she was pregnant at that time. Those were reshoots, I believe. Um, but the stunt double is hidden much better in this movie than it is in in a uh, Age of Ultron, except for like one glaring moment when Antiope throws a spinning back kick at Diana, and then there's a few sword swings after that where you can clearly see the person too because the during the kick, the stunt double is incredibly obvious because she's got a different hairstyle. Her skin tone is different, but like it's okay because we got to protect the babies. Um, and the rest of the time, it's only noticeable if you're looking. There's just the, the the spin kick is really the only moment where you can clearly see it, whether you're looking for it or not. 
during Diana's training, there's a bit of a snafu, and she goes to brood, because uh, she accidentally creates, like, a explosion with her forearm bang, which hurts her auntie. While she's brooding, she notices a plane dropping from the sky, and in this plane is your boy, Steve Trevor, played beautifully by Chris Pine, a man I have been a fan of since Star Trek in 2009. Uh, as I'm sure many people have. I know he was in The Princess Diaries too, and I had seen that well before Star Trek, but I, at that point in my life, unless you were in Harry Potter, I didn't really care who you were. <laughs> His plane is breaking, because, duh, uh, World War One planes blow, and two, because he crashed into some water and he'd been shot at a bunch. So he's sinking, but then Diana saves the day, looking all statuesque and shit. Uh, she dives in the water, she saves him. But what they don't know is that the Germans who were following Steve uh, follow him through the magical barrier somehow that surrounds Themyscira, which, like, your barrier isn't so good if people can just go through it. It kind of makes the invisibly... The invisibility... Yeah. <laughs> it makes the invisibility kind of pointless. Uh, but it's not, it's not my island. I can't complain. I just figured if you were going to have a magical barrier around it, maybe it's something that repels people instead of letting them in, but, you know, whatever. Diana immediately offends Steve by making him think he doesn't look like a man. Poor guy. And the Amazons start tussling with the Germans in a very cool, uh, pro like, major primary action scene. The training stuff is kind of action scene, but this is, like, the first, the first big one. Uh... Right away, too, we see uh, the first Amazon die by a bullet that was meant for Diana. Uh, it just it just misses her, and it hits a, an Amazon who's, uh, like, swinging down to shoot a bow, an arrow. Uh, and it's really sad just because of the slow-mo that they play on it and, like, Gal's acting as she sees it, and then you just see the body swinging on a rope. Poor random lady. We do get some really cool action scenes, though, during this from the Amazons. Uh... They're still cool, despite some of the wonky CGI and green screen, where you can tell, like, it's something doesn't belong. I'm looking at you, sword-throwing lady. Um, <laughs> and Tyope also pops off with, like, a 360 arrow shooting fest. Like, she just drops a bunch of arrows in one place and just keeps spinning. It's really dope. And uh, Hippolyta wipes out, like, four dudes with a really cool spinny horse dismount thing. We get some uh, dope shield teamwork too, as Antiope's girlfriend launches her into the air uh, with the shield, so she can shoot three dudes with arrows at the same time. But once again, a bullet meant for Diana hits someone else, Antiope, this time, and she gets kind of dead. Okay, fully dead. She gets fully dead. Um, it's very sad. Uh, and the Amazons take Steve captive and use the lasso of Hestia, aka the, AKA the lasso of truth to interrogate him to find out why he's there. Uh, we learn that he's a spy for British intelligence, not America, I guess. And he was spying on the Germans, and he got caught and stuff. Uh, through his exposition, we get backstory, and this is when we're introduced to Dr. Maru, a.k.a. Dr. Poison, and Lufeldorf, or Ludeldorf. Whatever his name is, I always forget. And <laughs> I even made a note on my notes that says, I forget. Uh, 
One dumb moment here, though, is during this flashback, Dr. Moreau realizes her book is missing, and she just happens to pick the right man of, like, five who are walking away at that point as the one who took it. Like, he's almost out the door. There's two people beside him. There's another person going slightly a different way, and she still points him out as the one who took it. It's, it's strange and okay, sure. Um, I also don't want to complain about the CGI a lot, but, like, I don't get how the MCU CGI can be so good and DC's always looks kind of wonky or cartoonish like I don't know if it's a stylistic choice that you're going for or something like it because all of Zack Snyder's films has this and then it carries over into this and it carries over a bit into Aquaman so it seems like it's a style they're going for or something I'm just not super big on it I don't like it um, I prefer it looking as, as real as it can be despite how cartoonish or silly something is like that's one thing about Star Wars I never had a problem with is that everything looks quite real other than the, the additions to the original trilogy, but we won't talk about those. I really like how the backlash too, so we, we immediately see that there's a backlash of constantly telling Diana these stories about Ares corrupting men and stuff. Like, this storybook origin we got, I'm sure it's something she's heard hundreds of times, and, and it shows that there's a backlash to that, like of her being lied to, because she's so gung-ho to go help the man's world to stop Ares, because she assumes he must be causing the war. And like that kind of obsessiveness stings all the more later when she learns that humans just kind of suck. Like it's not, like it's, it's Ares a little bit, but it's also like, we're, we're just not that great. <laughs> But yeah, no, I really, I really like that touch. Um, and you see it at the very beginning that she's that she's kind of steadfast in this belief as she fights with her mom to to help Steve. Uh, at this point, Diana goes and watches Steve in a bath in a very funny scene filled with penis jokes and stuff. Also, that bath and the water in it looks hella nice, like very clear, nice water. I'm very envious. Um, very envious. Clueless Steve, too, is my favorite Steve. It's the best part about One Woman 84, by the way. Uh, Steve just being earnest and confused. <laughs> I really like that. And, and just from that, being earnest and having abs and just standing there, he convinces Diana to help him. And we go to Diana. She goes to steal the uh, borrow, borrow, uh the god killer and stuff so she can help steve and she like there's a scene where she's discovering her strength as she falls down the side of a building and like her hand goes through the wall so she can create like divots uh it's kind of reminiscent of sam raimi's spider-man which is cool when he first climbs the wall for the first time uh so i really like that the kind of like sense of joy and wonder that she has there because she just they've kept her so under wraps that she doesn't know how strong she is which is pretty cool she goes and she uh, she jacks the sword that is supposed to be the god killer. Uh, she steals the Wonder Woman armor somehow. Uh, and she flashes Steve her panties. And then they try to leave uh, via a boat. But Hippolyta stops her and she's like, Excuse me, miss, that's my stuff. Don't take that. This leads to another thing I don't really get about these movies. And it's again, it's something that hurts Wonder Woman 1984. Um, minor. Spoiler alert, I guess. It's not really... Yeah, my, yeah, minor, I guess. But uh, I don't get why Diana has not gone back to Themyscira and why she can't return. Like, Hippolyta even says it. She says, if you leave, you may never return. 
But Diana has had like 80 years at this point. I'm sure she could find it again. Like Steve found it by accident. I'm sure she has a pretty like decent idea where it is. So she could go find it. Especially with like her god powers. But anyways. Uh, Mama H gives Diana Antiope's headpiece and some final warnings about man and man's world before sending her off on a boat with the Pine Man. He's trying very hard not to call her naive because she's cute and stuff, I'm sure. Hi, kitty. And I, I appreciate that, the fact that he's just like ignoring how odd she is. Diana's clue, cluelessness about men and man's world is also great throughout the movie, and it kind of starts here. Uh, the first one we get is when they're going to sleep, and they talk about like the pleasures of the flesh and stuff, and it's, it's a hoot. We hop over to the Germans now, where they begin to try and paint the general as possibly being Ares. What with his weird speeches and getting power pills. It's not a great red herring, as I never once thought he was Ares as I watched the movie the first time, or at any point. And I know a lot of others uh, did not either. Uh, Spoiler-ish, but as soon as you meet David Thewlis in this movie, you kind of know. Like, it's like, yeah, obviously, obviously it's this guy. Um... But yeah, and then apologies if there's any background noise. It's really warm today, so I've got my window open. Uh, and there's just a lot of cars being noisy. We also get the first, like, real cringy moment of the movie at this point with the Germans. Uh, when Dr. Poison gets a new poison idea and says it's going to be terrible, all happy. She's like, it's going to be terrible. Like, the, Ger- the Germans wouldn't think themselves as being evil, as being, like, the bad guys, and, like, thrive on that. It's a weird choice to to just paint them as bad guys for the sake of being bad, but hey, I don't make movies. It's not uh, not my job. We get a little funny bit as uh, Diane and Steve get to London, where she says it's hit, it's hideous, and Steve's like, "Yeah, it's not for everybody." <laughs> it always makes me chuckle, um, especially like compared to Themyscira, it would be it would be hideous. Yeah. Diana's stroll through London is also uh, fantastic. Gal does the clueless in an advanced world thing really well, and they have really good chemistry together, so it just makes it work even better. Her going to see the baby is really cute. She's just like, oh, baby. <laughs> uh, we also go clothes shopping here, and it's when we meet Etta Candy, who's played by the fabulous Lucy Davis. Um, I don't get how Diana's cloak works, because we see a lot of it at this early point, and how it can hide her hide her outfit so well, but I do appreciate them hiding it until the trench scene, so I'm okay with it. We get to see like a montage of her trying on clothes, and there's like a sidekick that she does in a poofy dress that makes me giggle. Um, Gal in her Lady Clark Kent disguise that they have for her is is gorgeous, by the way. Like she just, mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate the touch of Etta too, pointing it out. And then she also notices the people following Steve and Diana as they leave, which, again, nice little touch they didn't have to do. Um, and it leads to another good action scene of Diana just taking down the goons with just her braces, like deflecting bullets and stuff, which is which is neat. After this, they go to a meeting of uh, some British generals, and uh, this is when we meet Sir Patrick Morgan, played by David Thewlis, who, if you haven't seen this movie, is Ares. Um, the David Thewlis, as many of us will know, played Professor Remus Lupin from Harry Potter. He's also in Kingdom of Heaven. He's in, he's in a bunch of stuff. He's in a bunch of stuff. He's a good guy. Real good guy. 
there's a general here uh, who's a total d-bag too who like pretty much he says it's sol a soldier's job to die like like we could do like he's like we could do something to save everyone and if you send these people there the soldiers are gonna die and he's like it's their job it's his big poo head and Diana gives him a proper scolding which I love uh, <laughs> she also scolds Steve outside for like going along with the dumb dumb general but Steve this is, finds out he had a plan and he takes Diana to meet the Howling Commandos. I mean I mean I mean their team in this movie that aren't aren't the Howling Commandos. Uh, a drunk sniper Scotsman named Charlie that Diana uh, says is without honor. A French guy, maybe, I think he's French, whose name I always forget, who uh, Diana thinks is a liar. Um, yeah. Oh Samir, his name's Samir. I Googled it. <laughs> There's a funny line though here where he says uh, that he's frightened and aroused, and I'm sure I'm sure Gal frightens and arouses many people. Uh, French guy. David Thewlis chooses this moment to rock up and give them some money for their mission, since they're doing it without orders, so they don't really have any resources. And they get ready to go to the front, but first Diana gets an ice cream treat, which is another very good scene of her being like from a different world and being like, "Ooh, ice cream treat." We also meet the last member of our crew here, uh, Chief, who Diana once again kind of offends by saying like he's a smuggler and therefore probably not a good guy. You can see the theme here of her naivety, coloring her opinions of the people around her. She's making assumptions very, very quickly about people, uh, and they're kind of not nice assumptions. We then skip back to the Germans again, where we see like the Germans in charge want to agree to the ceasefire and the armistice and stuff, like they want it to stop. But Lufendorf is like, nah, dude. And he has Dr. Poison poison them all. And then they have a really weird giggle fest, which is more of like the, hee-hee-hee, we're evil. <laughs> uh, I really wish if Ares wasn't going to be someone big or imposing, like Tom Hardy's Bane, or like... Michael Fassbender, who isn't big, but he's imposing. He's kind of big. He's pretty tall, I guess. But, like, someone, someone like that, just, like, someone physically imposing and who gives off, like, a like a menacing air or something like that, that at least the red herring could have been someone big and imposing. Because I, I just, I don't find this guy threatening, and, like, maybe that's part of why I never assumed that he was, he was, um, ever Ares. Like, it's, like, it's too obvious that it wouldn't be this guy because even David Thewlis has like a has an aggressive air to him he always kind of has it's why he works as Lupin and it's why like I think he kind of works here but again it's not a maybe not the the route I would have gone but anyways I think Manu Bennett would have been a good choice to play Ares if he could do a British accent but I couldn't really think of anyone else besides Tom Hardy Fassbender and, and Manu but that's because I'm not super familiar with all the actors in the world. We get a nice little part here that we're, where um, Chief is talking to Diana about why he doesn't fight in the war, because again, she's assuming things about him. And we learn that he talks about how he's just here to help people who are having like their home stolen from him, like his was. And when Diana asks who stole from his people, he just says, his people, <laughs> referring to Steve, which is which is a nice touch. And then Diana wakes up Charlie from a PTSD dream, and he's, like, aggressive about it. Um, just these little touches in this scene to show that Diana doesn't know everything about the world and that she shouldn't be judging people right away. Because as she's talking to these guys, like, 
she's seeing the the underneath the underneath as it were after this we get to the trench scene which is incredible and it is worth the price of admission alone it's a solid scene from the very moment they step on the road with the people trying to flee to safety like it's all incredible the music's incredible the gunfire on the, of the turret and the shield is incredible uh, the run is incredible like I just I love it very much we see like she's in the trench the, the crown goes on, the cape comes off, and we get Wonder Woman in all her glory for the first time. The best comparisons I could think of, like, to it, feels like it's when Steve and T'Challa are, like, they're so far ahead of the charge of everyone else just because of their speed in Infinity War that they're kind of by themselves. Or, like, Steve on his own with Thanos' army, like, looming in Endgame. But even then, I still think this one is just, like, it's epic. <laughs> like... It, it, it kind of stands on her, on its own. Um, the colors of her costume really pop in 4K too, and you can tell it's armor, and it serves a purpose, which I really like. Like, there's a little, uh, there's a little thing where you, they didn't have to do it, but it, they paid enough attention, where uh, the turret's shooting at her, and she has the shield blocking, like, obviously her head and the upper part of her body. And normally in, in movies, we just assume they're just shooting at the shield, and you're always going to be like, why don't you just shoot her legs? But they made a point of showing that the bullets are bouncing off the grease because she's wearing, obviously, armor on her legs. And the bullets are bouncing off of it. They took the time to do that and to show that. Versus, like, Captain America went a soldier in a very similar scene where a turret is shooting at him as he runs towards it. And it's just shooting the shield. And you know, people will, like, shoot his legs. <laughs> in this, you're like, they did try to shoot her legs and it didn't work. Because they, they make a point of showing the, that the way she put the shield is so that it covers the exposed parts of her body down to where her greaves begin. And then she lets the greaves do what they're supposed to do. It's such a small thing that they didn't have to do because so many other movies don't do it. But they did, and I really like that. Um, yeah. The trench scene goes right into the town siege scene as well, and we get the Wonder Woman song from Batman v Superman, the <laughs> Anytime I try to do it, it just sounds like the, the the Spy Kids theme, but it's like No, that's still Spy Kids. <laughs> anyway, she busts into like a room to fight some bums. No complaints here. Again, it's another few minutes of excellent action. Uh, the effects, too, in this whole scene sequence are, are generally very good uh, as well. Like, they're essentially perfect in the trench scene and here they're very good except for one kind of wonky moment uh when diana tackles a tank and like you can tell like that's like a cgi person hitting a cgi tank in a real setting um it's fine like i said one one snafu in in a 10 minutes of of action scene is not is not that bad we also get a shield callback here as steve who the movie made a point of showing us seeing him like watching the shield move on the beach battle that Antiope does. He sees a piece of metal and he decides to call an audible to use it to launch Diana into a bell tower to take out a sniper who had had them pinned. So they're all stuck there. Charlie, um, still kind of lost in his, in his, in his trauma. Can't shoot him. So Steve's like, Oh yeah, let's do this shield thing. And they do it and it works and it's great. So they save this little town uh, and we get some nice moments between Diana and the gang and the pictures taken that we see at the beginning of the movie. 
and then Diana and Steve go upstairs to enjoy uh, the pleasures of the flesh, as Diana put it. They then go to a party to find Ludendorff, and they sneak in in the most ridiculous way, but it was funny, so it's a pass, I guess. And uh, Diana goes off on her own, and she just knocks out some rude and patient lady and steals her dress. I'm assuming she must knock her out and tie her up, since this, like, naked lady whose outfit was stolen doesn't barge into the party. Also, how did no one notice Diana sneaking a massive sword into this party? Like, it's just in the back of her dress. Like, pay attention, people. But as you know, things take a turn for the bad. Um, the Germans decide to use the poison that Dr. Poison made to bomb a city, and uh, Steve stops Diana from killing Ludendorff at the party. She's upset and she goes to the city to try to save people. And it's a very sad moment because, like, when she gets there, she finds everyone dead. Uh, and, like, the poison does nothing to her. But, yeah, everyone there is dead. And then she's mad at Steve. So she takes this kind of sequence of events as evidence that all the humans have been corrupted by Ares, not just the Germans. So she goes to take down Ludendorff on her own, who she's sure is Ares. As we've discussed, he's not. So Diana's showdown with Ludendorff and then what immediately follows is like the last really good part of this movie, other than Steve's goodbye and sacrifice. Like the disappointment that shows when Diana kills Ludendorff and nothing has changed, like the people are still fighting, is so good. And then Ares shows up just to taunt her after. Uh, but then the fight begins, and Ares makes his gray armor out of shrapnel. 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 <laughs> Jeez. Uh, this scene could have been so much better if there were just more lights, some colors, and if his armor was red and black or something, like like Ares' armor usually is. Like, I know in the comics it's generally completely black with, with spikes and stuff, but just throw some red and black on there, and, and it would have been so much better than just a hulking gray thing, as there always is in these movies. Like, everything's so dulled, and it just makes even the interesting bits of the fight kind of blah. But his his armor's still really cool. It, like, it looks cool, even though it's gray. And his powers are very Hela-esque, even before Hela, because this movie came out, I think, like, seven, six or seven months before Ragnarok. So they would have been kind of, like, made at the same time, so no one copying no one. But, like... They did it first, and they did it also in a cool way. Uh, Steve also decides to sacrifice himself a bit, and it's a little bit wild because it's pretty much the exact same as Captain America's uh, sacrifice in the plane. But luckily, I enjoy uh, Steve Trevor enough in this movie to still care when it happens, and I like it's still impactful. So that's that's what you want. Uh, Diana's like personal implosion when Steve dies is pretty cool too, but again, it. it it would be cooler if the surroundings just looked real during the time she when she's like powering through everybody in like a fit of rage it just looks fake and it looks like she's on like a treadmill that's pulling her through like a cgi screen and she just swings it's not great um i do really like the touch though of when steve comes to talk to her before he leaves she can't hear him and then what calms her down is her brain finally processing later what it is that he said like, she, she could finally, like, understand it. And his, I can save today, but you can save the world, is a solid line. It's good stuff. I really like that. 
But one thing this scene made me think is like, where's Zeus? In any other myth story, like where, where Zeus is present, if someone was messing with his lightning, he'd come give them a spanking. Like Ares or not, no matter who it was. Because Ares out here pulling lightning from the sky to throw it at Diana and like, not on Zeus's watch. <laughs> not anywhere else. But Diana eventually wins. She kills, quote unquote, I'm not really sure, uh, Ares. And then we get a really weird scene where I know what they, they try to be like, like at the last second, they're like, well, actually, Ares' influence probably did mess with them a bit because the soldiers all start hugging each other and, like, Diana's team starts hugging some of the Germans and stuff. It's it's very weird. Like, I know they just saw some super messed up stuff and they're shocked that they're alive and they were trying to imply that it's Ares' like, influence a little bit, but it's still dumb because the thing about the movie that they decide is kind of like, and Diana even says it, it's, it's that... The movie was to say, like, yeah, Ares poked things a little bit, but for the most part, it's it was people deciding this. It wasn't it wasn't him. Um, even though people are still good, for the most part, they make like stupid decisions sometimes, and that's kind of like what what the movie was supposed to be about. So I feel like this moment kind of ruined it. Like you could have just have them stop fighting. They didn't need to do the weird hugging thing, but anyways. This movie ends uh, going back to the present where she's looking at the picture and she's looking at the watch that Steve gave her and then she goes off to save people and it's, it's very nice of you. But yeah, I really, I really, really like this movie. I like a lot of the little touches that Patty Jenkins put in. Um, it's filmed beautifully. It looks great other than like the few bits of wonky CGI I talked about. The acting is generally very good. Uh, a lot of people were concerned about Gal early on because at this point her movie, like Retinue, was the Fast and the Furious movies, which, I, you know, I love them, but I don't think there's any mega level acting in any of those. But she, she does everything she's supposed to do and she does it well. Uh, the emotions come across, the humor comes across, like everything is, is, is quality. Um, but yeah, that's why I, I was really excited after this movie to see more of Wonder Woman, which is what you want after after any kind of like, after any movie really, but after any superhero movie, you want to see them again. And uh, sadly, <laughs> it kind of made me more sad that Wonder Woman 84 dropped the ball when I wanted this to be like a palate cleanser after watching that movie, but it, it, it was still really good and really enjoyable and I liked it a lot. Um, so yeah, if you've, if you've seen this movie, I think it's one you should go back and watch again uh, if you haven't seen it. And it's I guess it's now been spoiled for you, but still go watch it. It's really good. Uh, my hopes, I guess, for any future films is for the gods that Ares all killed, I guess, to kind of like regenerate. Um, or for Ares to come back, because that's, like I said earlier, I want more of her kind of against gods and stuff. And then take her back to Themyscira, they... It's gonna be spoiler for the next, like, 30 seconds, and minor spoilers, but... Because they've, they've shown it. Uh, One Woman 84 opens with a flashback to Themyscira, of, once again, as Diane as a kid, doing stuff on Themyscira. But... I don't... Like, don't just put in flashbacks of Themyscira because you feel like you have to show it. Like, if you're gonna use Themyscira, then take her there. I feel like don't don't do flashbacks and stuff. 
Like, let her go back. Let's do something with, with, I don't know, um, like Nyx, the goddess of darkness, or Titans, or something. Like, let's do something with this mythology. Because even though it's comics, the mythology is a big part of it. Like, even like Thor, like, Thor is. They, they made sure that the myths that they just that the comics were based around were still prevalent and they're still a part of the stories other than mostly Thor the Dark World but still even then Dark Elves you know is kind of a thing so like do that with Wonder Woman I think you've got a very different and very possibly like interesting thing like a lot of the parts that's good about Superman I think in turn would be good about Wonder Woman is that he fights for humanity against his own people. Like, he fights against for, for humanity against everybody. And you can tell that a little bit they're trying to make like Dinah on the same tier or playing the same role as Superman in this universe, which is perfectly fine. But if you're going to do it, I think you've got to do more of showing her fighting for humanity against other so against gods against her people and that's that's the way i think to make to make these movies all the better but that's i guess just one person's opinion um which counts for nothing but yeah that's that's wonder woman from 2017 um don't really have much else to say about it good movie good good movie Uh, we'll be back next week for another episode Thank you very much for your time. If you have anything that you might want me or me and Matt, Matt and I, to, to do, uh, hit me up on the Twitters. It's at Eric Mediocre. Uh, if you search Eric's Mediocre Adventures on Twitter, you'll, you'll find it as well. And you can follow me there and drop, drop a line. Peace.